the name of Jesus. Your name is power, healing, life, life eternal for you and me. We at First Church would like to welcome you, whether you're here in person, listening on the radio, or watching on Facebook. We are blessed that you are part of our service and hope that our music and singing is uplifting, our Bible study is revealing, and our prayers impactful. We also hope that God's love and presence is felt while you worship with us this morning. For the announcements, please look over the the bulletin for items that may be of interest to you. Also look to the church website either today or throughout the, the week and month and year as the staff does a good job of updating not only the, uh, the, the bulletin items, but ongoing activities of our church. So please look to those for information of things that you may be interested in. The roses on the altar are in honor of two couples who are celebrating wedding anniversaries of 50 years or more. The first um, celebrating their 50th is Doug and Linda Holscher, who will be celebrating yep, the Big 5-0. On October 23rd, congratulations to you guys. Larry and Karen Niemeyer will be celebrating 56 years also on the 23rd. So congratulations to them and their families. Also congratulations to Adam and Megan Howe who were united in Christian marriage here at First Church yesterday. Adam is the son of Mark and Barb Howe, and Megan is the daughter of George and Jenny Liggett of St. Mary's. Congratulations to their families. Um, on, on sad notes, uh, Donald Henschen's brother-in-law, Richard Kreitz, passed away this morning. Please pray for peace and comfort for them and their families. Also, we extend our love and sympathies to the family of Geneva, Judy Holcher. Judy entered into Christ's care Sunday, October 10th. She was 78. Most of us in the community remember Judy as a school bus driver and ticket taker at school sporting events. Judy really liked to see and greet people. Judy and her bus picked me up for 13 years of my time going to New Knoxville School. I would guess that she drove the school bus for 20 years, maybe more. And it would be hard for me to guess how many kids she brought to and from school over over those years. You may greet the family this afternoon at the viewing in the ministry center from 2 to 5. The funeral service will be held tomorrow here in the sanctuary at 10 a.m. This week is the wonderful Wednesday meal and harvest party. Join us in the ministry center for cheesy potato and vegetable soup, hot dogs, chips, salad, and cookies. There will also be face painting, apple races, and fun for the kids. Dinner is at 6. Pickup and delivery is also available. Now would you please rise and join me in the call to worship. It is taken from Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. 
You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over all the works of your hands. You put together everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and all the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swims the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is name in all the earth. I just realized I skipped over an item. Um, Allie Buckland has something to share with us about the mom event. I apologize, Allie. I thought I might get away with not having to uh, stand in front of all of you. That's right. Um, I would like to invite all of the moms of all ages and stages to our mom event here at the church in the ministry center on Friday, November 5th from 6 o'clock to 10 o'clock. Um, there's going to be good fellowship, some, um, some worship, and really great speakers. So um, we also have some good food and really good door prizes to win as well. So hopefully that's a little bit of motivation. Um, registration is $20, and there's a few ways that you can register for the event. First of all, there's a link on the homepage of First Church website that you can follow. You'll have to log in to your Right Now Media account. If you don't have an account, there's um, another link on the website to uh, help you uh, create an account so that you could do that. Um, there's also a QR code in the bulletin. You can scan. It's in the very back. Um, you can scan it with your camera on your phone, and it'll pop up with a link. You can follow that link. Or Tori and I are going to be at um, a table over there in the Heritage Room. So if you have any questions or need help signing up, we can help you do that. So um, we really want this to be a special event and special time for the moms to get together and have a little bit of a break from home and um, just to fellowship and socialize together. So um, we hope that you can join us. Thank you, Allie and Tori and those leading that event. Looks like a great opportunity for all the moms of our community to grow their faith and receive and provide encouragement, you know, for, for our moms. So please uh, look, look to her and, and, and the, that opportunity. Now let's sing hymn number 64, All Creatures of God and King.
please be seated and let's have the kids come forward for children's chat. Yesterday, yesterday, listen kids, yesterday Mrs. Lammers was baking some chocolate chip cookies for you guys. I wonder if the offering of some chocolate chip cookies will entice some of the kids who stopped coming up to join the group this morning. Might be worth it. You made cookies with Grandma? Okay. I do see a couple older kids that sometimes don't always think that they need to come up. Yeah. little temptation. Yeah. Temptation's good, isn't it? Is temptation good or is temptation bad? What is temptation? What is temptation? Okay. Temptation starts with something you like, right? Something you really like. Do you guys really like chocolate chip cookies? Do you? Do you? Can you smell them? How do they smell, Grant? They smell good? Yeah? What do you think? You think there's enough chocolate chips in them? Do they look pretty yummy? Yeah? All right. Well, you know, temptation is when Something is right there in front of you, and it smells really good. And you know that with a big glass of milk to dunk this cookie in, that would be amazing, right? Am I tempting you? Does that sound good? Okay, well, I'm going to put these aside. I have a story I want to share with you. It happens to be about chocolate chip cookies and being tempted. One day, Jason walked into the kitchen just as his mom was pulling the last pan of freshly baked cookies out of the oven. Oh boy, chocolate chip cookies, said Jason as he reached for a cookie. We'll eat dinner soon and snacking will ruin your appetite. You can eat some cookies after supper. All right, Jason said as he put the cookie back. I'm going to go play outside with Bobby. Jason and Bobby played for a while and then went back inside to get a drink of water. The cookies were still on the table. Look, said Bobby, chocolate chip cookies. Let's have one. Well, my mom said that I wasn't allowed to have one or it would spoil my supper. Jason said, oh, come on, said Bobby. One cookie isn't going to spoil your supper. Well, okay, I guess just one cookie wouldn't spoil my supper. So they each had a cookie. And just as they were finishing that cookie, Jason's sister Susie came in. Mom made some cookies, and they're really good, Jason told her. Do you want one? So they all had another cookie together. That night at dinner, Jason wasn't very hungry, and his mom noticed that he wasn't really eating his supper. You aren't eating. Is something wrong, she asked him. No, I'm just not very hungry. Jason answered, Mmm, you disobeyed me and ate a cookie before dinner, didn't you? Yeah, said Bobby. But, yeah, but Bobby said that it really wouldn't spoil my appetite, and, and I only ate one or two, Jason answered sheepishly. Well, I'm disappointed, said his mom, because you've disobeyed me. You can't go anywhere with your friends on Saturday. 
You get to stay home with me and help clean the house. Hmm. Does that story sound familiar? Maybe something you heard in in the Bible? Can you think of anybody in the Bible that was tempted? Adam and Eve. Yeah. What What did God tell them? To not eat the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. Good. And did they listen? No. No. What happened? The snake tempted them to eat it, didn't he? Yep. Yep. And what happened because they ate it? They couldn't live in the garden. Yep, they had to leave. They had to leave the garden. So... Yes, there was only one rule. You're right. Good job. So, Satan is going to tempt us to do things sometimes too. But we have to be strong. And when we know about Jesus and we know about the Bible, we can be strong and know that we do not need to be tempted. Okay? God is there. He is going to help us make the right choices okay now we're going to say a quick prayer and if you look in that front pew over there there might be cookies for each one of you okay and i made 36 because i knew that i was going to have a bunch of kids today and so i wouldn't run out okay are we ready Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for these children and their enthusiasm to learn about you. Please be with each one of us this week and help us to remember that when we're tempted, you are there to make us strong so that we can say no. Keep us healthy and safe. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go check out the front pew for your cookies. Amen. Thanks, Maria. Thanks, kids. And good thing, you know, always bake extra cookies when you're, when you're tempting them to come up for children's chat. That's a great idea. And if there's any left over, you can just leave them there. I'll take care of them too, okay? I can make sure those get taken care of. Uh, as we think about our offering this morning, I just want to encourage you, if, if you're able or, and willing to give this morning, our offering is going to support the radio fund. Um, I, I know I've said this before, and I'll probably continue to say it as long as I have the opportunity. I've, I'm reminded the longer I serve as pastor here, I'm reminded more and more of how important that radio ministry is, especially to our shut-ins, those in nursing homes, and honestly to people that we may never meet or encounter. Um, the radio ministry reaches far beyond just the, the walls of this church and the community of New Knoxville, and we're very grateful that God has given us that opportunity to proclaim his word uh, through the radio ministry. Uh, so your offering today will go to support that. Um, also just want to remind you that there's more ways to support Uh, ministry and ministry projects than just through the offering, although that is one good way that God has provided for us. We can also actively participate as well. So I want to encourage you, if you're interested in helping support the Operation Christmas Child uh, ministry we have here at the church, uh, there'll be an opportunity to help with the packing party. There's many items that have been collected and donated here at the church, and you can help pack some of those boxes. There's going to be three opportunities um, all within the week of each other. So uh, information is in the newsletter. I encourage you to check that out. Uh, But just so you know, you can participate in these packing parties on Sunday, October 31st from 1 to 3 p.m., on Wednesday, November 3rd from 5 to 7 p.m., and Saturday, November 6th from 9 to 12 p.m. 
And each one of those days is going to focus on a different age group that those boxes will go to. So if you're interested in coming and helping by packing some of those boxes, um, those packing parties will be taking place in the Heritage Room just off the sanctuary here. If you'd like more information, you can always reach out to myself or Sharon Colson. We'd be happy to fill you in and tell you how you can continue to support that ministry. This time, we're grateful for the choir to be with us and lead us in worship as the deacons collect our offering.
God is faithful, is he not? That's wonderful. Thank you, choir, for leading us in that. And I encourage you to remain standing as we continue to worship God together by reflecting on his grace and mercy. The song is, His Mercy is More. you to pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Lord, we thank you that your faithfulness is greater than our faithfulness. We thank you that your mercy and your love and your grace is greater than our sin. We acknowledge this morning, Lord, we acknowledge that we need you. As we move forward in our service and reflect on our topic for this morning, Lord, we acknowledge that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We acknowledge that left to our own devices, Lord, we would have no hope. But because of you, your great love for us, because of your faithfulness, Lord Jesus, because of your death and resurrection, that we have hope. 
that we are a people that gather here together to proclaim your goodness, to proclaim your praises. And so that's what we do here this morning. Your mercy is certainly more, Lord. Great is your faithfulness. And Lord, it is in that hope and in that promise that we put our trust, not in ourselves, not in our own strength, not to our own plans and purposes, but according to your goodwill and your faithfulness. And so, Lord, we pray for those that are represented in our prayers and concerns list. We especially pray this day for the families of those who lost lost loved ones recently. We pray for the family of Judy Holsher as well as for the family of Richard Kreitz, Lord. We pray that your spirit would be the spirit of comfort, that your Holy Spirit would be our their helper in their time of need. Lord, we also pray for those who are in need of healing. And we remember especially those that this day, those in our in our in our community and those that we know, Lord, that are that are dealing with COVID. We pray especially, Lord, for those that are that are sick and in need of healing. We pray that you would strengthen their bodies, Lord, that they would find healing and strength in you. And Lord, we thank you that your promises, your hope is greater than illness, is greater than cancer, is greater than than the struggles we face in this world. And we thank you that the ultimate hope we have is not in this place, but is in your presence, both here and forevermore. Lord, we also ask for prayer for leaders and authority over us, as your word calls us to do. We pray for our national leaders this day. We pray for our president, our Congress, our Supreme Court, as well as other elected officials, Lord. We ask for your wisdom and guidance in their lives. We ask that they would have a hunger and thirst after righteousness, that they would be filled, that they would lead this nation well. We also ask for uh, those prayer for those in authority over us within this body of believers. And so we pray for our trustees this morning. We thank you for their dedication to caring for this church and, and in particular, Lord, this place that we have to gather and provision and ultimately your provision through them, Lord, as they serve this church. We thank you for all these things and pray them in the name of Jesus Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. The scripture reading for today comes from Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 24. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, 
We may eat fruit from the trees in the gardens, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you to not eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offsprings and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will, he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree, about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through the painful toll, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much. I should warn everybody that volunteers to do scripture reading. You might end up reading a list of long place names that are hard to pronounce, or you might have a whole chapter out of the Bible to read. But thank you for, for reading today. It's important that we see this in its context here. And I appreciate everyone who is able to help out and read scripture. Sometimes it's just a verse or two, so don't be afraid. Um, but sometimes it is a little bit longer. Um, before we jump into the scripture, I just want to uh, clarify one announcement that was made this morning. I realized after the fact, um, the harvest party is in the, in the wonderful Wednesday meal that is happening is next Wednesday, not this week. So it's October 27th, if I have that date right off the top of my head, um, not this Wednesday. So if you show up this Wednesday, you can hang out with the youth group, I guess, because they'll be having youth group in that space. But next Wednesday, October 27th, is when we're having that wonderful Wednesday meal and fall party. So that's going to be a really exciting time. I hope you all can be a part of it. 
So let's turn our attention again to scripture here. Um, Let me pray for us, and then we will look at our topic for today. Father God, we thank you for this day. Uh, Lord God, we ask that as we study your word, especially a um, difficult topic like sin uh, that we will be discussing, we ask for your grace uh, as we, over this time, uh, Holy Spirit, I ask that you give me words to speak and that you open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. So we're going to be uh, looking at, continuing our look at the faith statement. And so just as I've done every other week, I want to read the section from the faith statement so you can hear it in its entirety. And then we are going to move on into our scripture for today. So we're looking at section number six of our faith statement, man in the fall. We believe that God created man, male and female, in the image of God. Human beings were created to glorify God, worship and serve him, and to fellowship with him. Sin entered the world through the first act of disobedience, and human beings, along with the rest of creation, are now totally corrupted by sin and unable to save themselves. The result of sin is physical death and eternal separation from God. Like I said, kind of a heavy topic for today, right? Now, we are about halfway, actually exactly halfway through studying our faith statement today. And and if you've been with us each week, you'll notice that each of the first five weeks, didn't focus on us as people, right? The focus has been on God and his word, right? So we have talked about the Bible, we've talked about the Trinity, and we've talked about each member of the Trinity in turn, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so in other words, we have built a foundation, our, our faith is built on the foundation, not of who we are, but on who God is. Does that make sense? And so, so we've spent the first half of our study the first half of our time together, focusing on who God is and what he's done for us. Only now that we have laid that foundation are we going to turn the focus on ourselves, in a sense, and reflect on what that means and what it means for us today. And so we, we are going to, to begin talking about sin. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be talking about creation and sin. And I, wanna, I want us to think about today... Uh, this may be a strange term, but I, I don't know even know if this is a, a legit term, but it's the one that pops in my head when I think about this. But have you ever heard of a compliment sandwich? You guys ever heard that term before? When you got to share bad news with someone, right, the, 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 maybe the way to make it a little bit more palatable for them is to, to share some good news with them first, then lay the bad news on them, right, and then share a little bit more good news after that. And that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to start with some good news. We're going to share the bad news of sin, right, and talk about what that means for us. But we're not going to leave it on that note either. We're going to finish our time together by, by reminding us of the good news of the gospel. And so that's what, that's what our focus is going to be today. And, and before we jump into that as well, it's important to remember that the hard part about preaching about sin is potentially coming off as judgmental or condescending. And so I just want to lay it all out on the table for us right now. Uh, the God, the uh, when we to me, right, applies to me just as much as it applies to anybody else, right? So this is not me standing up here and saying, you bad sinners need to fix what's going on in your lives, right? This is about all of us, including myself. I feel like maybe I need to stand up here like the start of a AA meeting and say, hi, my name is Joel, right? And I'm a sinner, right? That's, that's the, 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 the common foundation that we all have. And the, and the one common thing we all have as God's children, as his created being. So, but I said we're going to start with good news, right? And that's where we're going to start is the good news of creation. 
as Anita read for us from Genesis 1, 26 and 27, we're reminded that human beings, we were all created in the image of God. So all people, regardless of race, regardless of class, regardless of sex, are made in the image of God. And all people, therefore, are worthy of dignity and respect. All right, that's the foundation for our, a lot of our conversations, and that should be the foundation of a lot of our conversations about equality and justice in our world, is right here in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, that all people are created in the image of God. And so the question is, right, what is the image of God? What does that mean to be created in his image? And, and it means that we were created to represent him in the world, to be like him both in character and in actions. In other words, God was creating little, little images of himself to place in his creation, to rule over it as stewards of his creation, right, and to, to represent him well in the world. And so we were made with a purpose, right? We were made to, to know God, to be in a relationship with him, to serve him, and to reflect his goodness and his character in the world. And we see throughout Genesis 1 that, that creation before sin enters the picture is good. And we see that affirmed over and over again. When God created the heavens and the earth, he looked at everything and said it was very good. It was perfect. It was without sin. It was exactly what God had intended it to be before sin entered the world. And so it's interesting. If you think about our Bible, if you remove sin from the Bible, right, the, the conversations of sin and remove the effects of sin from the Bible, we're left with four chapters. We have Genesis 1 and 2, which is a description of the Garden of Eden. And we're left with Revelation 21 and 22, which is a description of the new heavens and the new earth. Everything that happens between Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22 is a description of the effects of sin and what God is doing to rescue us and to save us and to bring redemption to his creation. But it started off good, it started off perfect, and it will be perfect when God redeems the world once again. And so, and so it's also important to remember that there were law and commandments before the fall. And, and Maria did a great job of, of reminding us of that during the children's chat, that God did give us instructions uh, or give Adam and Eve instructions on how to live in relation to him and in relation to the world before the fall. In other words, rules and regulations are not a result of the fall, right? They were part of God's good creation before sin entered the picture. Because God is giving us uh, uh, boundaries and restrictions in terms of what it means to live in relationship to him and to others. And those boundary lines he puts in place are ultimately for our good. All right, true freedom is not the absence of all rules. It's living within the right set of rules. It's living out how God created us to be in the first place. And so let's look now. So that's the good news. We are created in God's image to know him, to love him, to serve him. Right, and all of that was very good, as God said. So let's look now at the bad news, and you see that beginning in Genesis chapter 3. And it's a very familiar story. We don't need to rehash all the different points of it, but it's a, but it's a very familiar story to us. The serpent enters the scene and begins by tempting Eve and Adam as well, because we see he's right there too. He tempts them to undermine God's goodness, his trustworthiness, and his authority. Notice how the serpent tempts Eve here at the beginning of chapter 3. He says things like, did God really say? In other words, he's 
questioning the content of God's word. He also says things like, you certainly won't die, which is a question, excuse me, which questions the truthfulness of God's word. So not only does he say, so, so in other words, he's saying it's not, um, God's word doesn't say that, but even if it does, you can't trust it. And the third thing that the serpent puts in front of Adam and Eve is he says, you will be like God. In other words, the temptation is that if they choose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they will have the authority to determine what's right and wrong, what's good and bad, right? Not God, not the Lord who created them. And it's interesting that this is still how Satan tempts us today, isn't it? Right? He still tempts us with those same questions. Can we really trust God at his word? Is God really trustworthy? And is God our ultimate authority for faith and life and practice, right? That's the temptation that Satan put in front of Adam and Eve in the garden, and it's the same temptation that he puts in front of us today. In the end, it was Eve's decision to eat from the fruit, eat the fruit from the tree. It was the enemy who tempted her, but she chose to do it. She examined the fruit, decided it was pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, and she ate it. All right, so it was the temptation that gave rise to sin, but the temptation wasn't the sin. Right? It, was, it wasn't the serpent's fault. Right? He does not shoulder all the blame. The blame falls squarely in the shoulders of Adam and Eve. But, but the, it was the temptation that led to the sin. And so it's important for us to take a moment here and pause in the story and talk about sin itself and define that for us because Scripture gives a very complex understanding of sin. It's not just a simple, straightforward perspective, but it is a very complex idea. For example, sin is described in the Bible in one sense as, as simply missing the mark of God's holy standard. In other words, it's actually, a, a, from a secular perspective, it's an archery term. So, so you miss the mark, you aim at the target, right? You try to hit it, but the arrow just sails wide or falls short, right? So there's good intentions may be involved, but you just don't, don't quite figure it out or, don't, or the arrow doesn't hit home. It doesn't hit the target. But scripture still considers that to be sin. In other words, even our good intentions, even when we try our hardest to please God, we are still going to fall short of God's goodness. In Isaiah 64, 6, the prophet says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Right? Paul, Paul in Philippians chapter 3 compares uh, all of his righteous acts as garbage compared to knowing Christ. In other words, even the best of us, even, the hard, even those that try the hardest to please God, are still going to fall short. So sin, is, in one sense, is simply missing the mark. But scripture also describes sin as outright rebellion, intentional disobedience against God's created order, enemies with God, and rebellion against him. See that passages like Colossians 1 where he says that we are, while we were still enemies with him, right? Or, or while uh, Romans 5, 8 says that while Christ, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? So, so in one sense, sin is also outright rebellion, but scripture also doesn't just confine sin to our actions. It also talks about our attitudes and, and, and what is going on in our heart and our mind too. Jesus said it isn't enough just to not murder people or not commit adultery. He says to hate someone in your heart and to lust after someone is just as 
big of a deal. It's just as sinful. And so we're reminded that sin, it's internal as well. And it's not just mistakes with good intentions. It's also outright rebellion. We also see from Scripture that sin affects all people. Every single person that's lived since Adam and Eve have been affected by sin. Romans 3 reminds us that there is no one righteous, not even one. No one seeks God. And there is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is the approach that Scripture gives when it comes to sin. It doesn't just affect some people. It doesn't just affect those people over there. It affects everybody. And we are all equally guilty. And it affects us to our very core, right? It's not just the the sum of our actions and thoughts and attitudes. So sin is both what we do, but also who we are. We are sinners by our very nature as a direct result of the fall. Uh, Pastor and theologian R.C. Sproul once said that I am not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. You see the difference there? It's not just a direct result of our actions and our attitudes and our thoughts. It's very, it's, it's baked into our very core as a direct result of the fall. That image of God that was described in Genesis 1, right, is broken, it's distorted, it's lost because of sin. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 talks about how, how we are spiritually dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And that's a very vivid picture because death, both physical and spiritual, is exactly what we deserve as a result of our sin. Some people complain, right, if God was fair, then all people would go to heaven. Right? Have you ever heard that? Or maybe you felt that way yourself. But if God were fair, if God were perfectly fair and just, none of us would get to heaven because none of us deserve that because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I've been reminded many times in my life that life is not fair and praise God for that because it is Because if God were fair in that sense, we would have no hope. But praise God that life isn't fair because it is in Christ we can be forgiven. Right? Dead people have no hope. They can't be, they can't fix themselves. They can't drag themselves to a hospital. They can't be resuscitated. They need a miracle. They need new life. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us. We also must remember that sin affects more than just us personally. It certainly does. Right? It affects our relationship with God. We're comp- in sin, we are separated from God. Notice Adam and Eve are removed from the garden. In other words, they no longer have access to that personal relationship with God because of sin. And then the other part of it is that God even puts a flaming sword right, to guard the way to the Garden of Eden and the Tree of Life. In other words, that flaming sword represents God's judgment against sin. That if you that you need to pass through God's judgment in order to once again be in relationship with him. And that's something that none of us can pay. But praise be to God because someone has already paid that punishment for us. Someone has already paid the price that we couldn't pay. Someone has already faced God's judgment on our behalf. And that person is Jesus Christ. But we see from the, the curse here, uh, that, that sin doesn't just affect us personally. It affects everything in creation. It affects relationships. It affects our societies, right? It affects all of creation itself. 
Right? The land won't produce easily. It requires hard and frustrating work. Romans 8 goes on to say that all of creation is subjected to frustration and longs for the day of redemption. That is the effect, and that is the reality of sin in the world. So as soon as Adam and Eve eat the fruit, right, they become fully aware of their sin and their shame, and they try to hide themselves from God. But all of their attempts to cover their own sin fall short. God knows exactly what they've done. And don't miss this, right? God is fully aware of their sin. God knows exactly what they did. But notice what God does here. He seeks them out. He goes into the garden to seek out Adam and Eve, right? He goes there knowing that they have sinned, knowing that they have rebelled against him, and yet he goes there to seek them out anyways. Again, that's exactly what he does for us in Christ. He didn't wait for us to fix ourselves. He didn't wait for us to clean up our act. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Right? And so Adam and Eve, they begin to play this blame game, right? They, Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent, right? Our natural tendency is to try to point the finger at someone else for our sin. We blame our circumstances, we blame our, our parents or our children, we blame our job, we blame everyone else but ourselves. But God doesn't let them get away with it. He outlines the consequences for their sin for each one, the serpent and Eve and Adam, and each one must shoulder the blame and consequences for their actions. And that's why confession is such a powerful and important tool for us. When we confess our sins, we are confronted with the reality of our sin. We stop hiding, we stop blame shifting, right? And we acknowledge that we have sinned and that we have no one to blame but ourselves. And when we do that, something powerful happens. When we honestly confront our sins, when we acknowledge our sins before the Lord, we are confronted with the grace of God. And so in just a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to do that together. But there's, I said I wanted to end on good news, right? We talked about the, the good news of creation, the bad news of sin, but we also must take a moment to reflect on the good news that is also found in Genesis 3. This chapter is a low point in Scripture. God's good and perfect creation is ruined by the reality of sin. And in many ways, it is a low point. But even at our lowest points, there are whispers of the hope and promises of God in his faithful, loving kindness towards us. We can point to Genesis 3.15 as the announcement of the first gospel, right? Not first as in there's a different one, but the first announcement of the gospel right there in Genesis 3.15. As God is pronouncing judgment against the serpent, he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Notice the word offspring here is singular. God isn't talking about all of her offspring or any of her offspring in general. He's referring to a specific offspring who will come one day. The enemy will wound that individual, but that person will destroy the enemy. And the promise here, of course, is referring to Jesus. Right? He is the offspring who will come. He is the Messiah, God's chosen one who will come to destroy sin and death for good. I mentioned Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, which talks about how we are dead in our sins and trespasses and by nature deserving of wrath. But Ephesians 2, 4 through 10 reminds us that God has made us alive in Christ because of his loving kindness, because of his grace. 
right? That is the hope of the gospel. We see it whispered in Genesis 3.15, and throughout Scripture it is proclaimed in and through the person of Christ. And again, we see it whispered in this, in this passage. Not only does God make that pronouncement in Genesis 3.15, but we see here that he also offers Adam and Eve covering for their sin and shame. Even as he is removing them from the garden, he covers, uh, he covers them. Right? Even in his judgment against sin, God is graciously providing for his people. And that's exactly what he does for us in Christ. So I said, we're going to take time to confess our sins together this morning. And confession, right, we, we cannot, confession is important because we cannot truly experience or fully appreciate God's grace if we don't honestly confront our own sinfulness. The more we learn to confess our sins, the more we will appreciate God's grace and mercy. But I want to encourage you to grab your bulletin if you don't have it in front of you already. And before we sing our last song, we're going to take a moment to confess our sins together. There's going to be some opportunities to, I'm going to read, um, but opportunities for us, just like in the call to worship, to confess our sins together corporately and to hear God's good promises to us in Christ. So let's take a moment and let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would bring to mind the ways that we've fallen short of your glory. It says in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father God, we ask that you would, as we have a time of confession here this morning, we ask that you would work in our hearts and minds. Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves so that we can be honest with you. And we thank you, Lord, for your good grace. And help us to experience that now as we confess our sins to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the psalmist testifies, happy are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silent, my body was wasted away, though my, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you. So, Lord, we ask that you would now hear our prayer of confession. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. You desire truth in the inward being, therefore teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. This time I want to encourage you in the silence of your heart. Maybe God has prompted something in you this morning as we've talked about the reality of sin. This is an opportunity for you in the silence of your heart to confess your sins to the Lord. As the deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. 
My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I went with a throng and led them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, and I shall again praise him, my help and my God. And now hear the good news. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Anyone who is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. The old life is gone and the new has begun. Know that in Jesus, God embraces you, forgives you, and strengthens you to live a renewed life. Thanks be to God. Amen. As we close our service today, I invite the praise team back forward again. Um, let's sing. Now, let's ta- now that we've had an opportunity to reflect on our own sinfulness, our own need for the Lord, and taking time to confess our sins, Let's praise God by singing about how he's made that grace available through the blood that he shed on the cross. I invite you to stand if you're able and sing with us.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace.